Amen. And good evening. Good to see you all this evening. However you're joining us, whether you're here in the room or joining online, we're just glad you're a part of our faith community. Thank you for being here. Uh, you know, there is just something about this story right? The Christmas story. It's easy to ignore religious people. It's easy to ignore religion in general, but there's something about Jesus and about this idea that as we struggle in the muck, in the mire of this earth, that the God who lives outside of it would somehow step in for a moment and live as we do. Enter the womb of a woman and be an unborn child that becomes a baby that is helpless there's something about that idea that's just hard to shake. It's worth writing hundreds of songs about, I guess, you know? It, it just, it sticks in our minds the hope that it speaks to. It's the most beautiful story ever told. You know, but we've been looking at it these last few weeks, and we've also been using another word to describe it. It is miraculous. It's beautiful. It also, and I feel like we could say this, we're friends, I can acknowledge this, it's pretty weird, Right? This Christmas story is a little bit weird. It's a little bit odd. And I think one of the things that happens is we are so familiar with the story. We hear it every single year. We're so familiar with the ins and outs of it that we become numb to the elements of the story that are really quite unusual. I mean, stuff like the virgin birth is pretty unusual. The angels appearing to people, the shepherds, the, the I think it's unusual, the whole no room for them at the end. We say that every year. But like who sends a pregnant lady about to give birth out to the barn. That's horrible. Frankincense. Can we talk about frankincense? We, we tie, every year we use the word frankincense. I bet I could walk up to you after the service and hand you a pile of frankincense and you'd be like, what's that? Like none of us know what it is. We've never seen frankincense in our life, but we're like, yeah, that's what you give to babies. Frankincense makes sense, right? It's weird. I actually looked it up. Uh, do you know what frankincense is? Does anyone know what it is? Nobody. Okay, frankincense is a resin from the Boswellia tree. Yeah, thank you. Now you can impress your friends and family over the holidays. But all of these little details, I think, are actually packed with meaning. And they're odd, but they're also meaningful. And so we've been looking at those. And I want to look at a part of the story that we read last week out of Luke chapter 1. Um, Caitlin read this as she was preaching last week, which if, if you're looking for something to do after you open presents on, on Christmas morning, go back and listen to that sermon again. It was astounding. But she read this to us, and I want to see if we can't notice an odd little detail that I bet we've overlooked every year we've heard this story. Here's what the author Luke writes. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, here's his attempt to reassure, Don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this is a shocking moment, right? This is the moment where everything changes for Mary. 
She gets the most shocking news like in the history of shocking news. You're going to miraculously conceive the baby that is the son of God. And obviously that's like the headline of the story, so we focus there. But did you notice this? Not only did the angel say, you're going to have a son, but he also told her what the son's name was to be. Did you notice that? When was the last time you thought about the name of Jesus? Uh, Jesus, not an uncommon name. It probably was more accurately pronounced like Yahshua in Jesus' day. It just means God saves. It was a very common name when Jesus was born. And the fascinating question that we need to ask is, who is it that's actually giving Jesus this name? So it wasn't Mary. His mother didn't get to name him. Also, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, you can read a similar exchange between the angel and Joseph. Joseph doesn't get to marry or get to name his child either. Uh, And I would also suggest that the angel is not really giving Jesus this name. The angel's just a messenger. So really, the person naming Jesus is God himself, which if you have a basic understanding of the concept of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equally part God, uh, then you would, we have to conclude Jesus kind of named himself, right? That's what's happening here. That's odd. All of us have names that somebody else gave to us. Jesus chose his own name, the God who saves. Now, as unusual as that is, it's not unheard of. In fact, all throughout Scripture, there are these moments where God speaks to people and he says, hey, I want you to call me this. And he gives us a name that he's to be known by. In fact, our Advent reading out of the Advent packet today had one of those. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this. He's introducing himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So however you feel about Jesus, Alpha and Omega, that's a pretty cool name, right? It just means the beginning and the end. And so uh, you think about this, like before time began, like our plane of existence governed by time. So there was like second one. Prior to that second, Jesus was there. And on our, in our reality, at some point, the clock is going to tick out and there's going to be the last second and Jesus is still going to be there. It's this, the pre-existent one, the uncreated one, the Alpha and the Omega, which gives us some clue as to what's happening with the angel. When the angel shows up to Mary uh, and he says, hey, you're going to be with this child, it's not the moment that Jesus comes into existence. Jesus has always existed. And so the angel is kind of saying to her, listen, he already has a name because he already exists. He's Jesus. That's who he is. It also explains a little bit about the virgin birth. You and I, when we were conceived, like that's when our existence began. Jesus was not conceived because he had already existed. He's the Alpha and the Omega. I heard one theologian describe it this way. Christmas is not the moment Jesus was created. It's more like the moment we humans discovered him. Think about that word discovery. Like if you discovered an uncharted island, Uh, Like, you understand the island was there before you got there, right? Like, you just showed up and you were the first human to see it, and so maybe they name it after you or something like that. But discovery doesn't bring something into existence. It just refers to the first moment that we see the thing. That's what Christmas is for Jesus. And I think what that reveals about the heart of our God is that there is this God who so deeply desires to be known by us 
to be known for who he actually is, not who we wish him to be, not who we would expect him to be, but who he actually is. And he so deeply wanted us to know him that he stepped into our plane of existence and lived this life. And in Jesus, we see everything that God is. In everything Jesus is, God is. And this is our God, a God who desires to be known by us. That's why all over scripture, he has these names that he tells us that are so meaningful, that reveal something about his heart. Uh, Jesus, Yahshua, Alpha, and Omega. I love the one over in Isaiah 7. We always read this time of year. It's a prophecy about Jesus. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is what we just read over in Luke chapter 1. This is what is happening. Emmanuel means God with us. And it's this name of God that reveals the posture of God towards every human. He is a God who desires to be with, to be alongside, to be present in it with us. That's who he is. Another name I love, I just love it because we don't always think of it as a name of God, but Psalm 68, we read this earlier this year, it's talking about singing to God, sing praise of his name, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. He says, listen, my name is not associated with the powerful. I am the Lord, father to the fatherless. Isn't that beautiful? I am the Lord, defender of widows, those who do not have a defender. He says, that is who I am. And so what is Christmas? It is this moment that we discover the true nature of God revealed through the human called Jesus. We see what he really is like because of his name, this God who saves us. You know, it's interesting, if you study the names of God, uh, specifically the names that we associate with the person of Jesus, um, there's only one instance in scripture where a human names Jesus. Um, it actually is way at the beginning of your Bible. So this is, uh, you know, leaning on the Alpha and Omega thing. Long before Jesus was ever born, he is named by this young slave girl named Hagar. The story comes out of Genesis 16. Hagar was a slave to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are the mother and the father of the nation of Israel. And you may know the story. God promised to them that they were going to become a great nation. And that through their descendants, God himself was going to bless the entire world and begin transforming this place and usher in a new kingdom. Uh, the only problem, of course, is Abraham and Sarah are quite old. And Sarah at some point loses hope because they have no children. And so she conspires with her husband, Abraham, and they force one of her slaves, Hagar, to become pregnant with Abraham's child. It's horrific. It's a horrible abuse. It is this moment where this girl was abused by those who should have taken care of her. And of course, she is terrified. Uh, she is in misery and she flees their house. The Bible says she flees into the desert. And in the desert, the Bible says, she meets the angel of the Lord. 
Now, angel of the Lord is a really fascinating phrase in the Old Testament. It usually, uh, in most cases, is going to indicate the pre-incarnate Jesus, which is just a really fancy way of saying that before Jesus became the little baby and lived a, a life of, as a man, that he, he existed and he made a few appearances here on earth where he interacted with people. And this is one of those moments where Jesus is interacting with someone, like someone from his family tree. This is like an ancient, distant aunt, this uh, young girl, Hagar, who is pregnant with uh, the patriarch's child. And the Bible says that he comes upon her in the desert and he makes these promises to her about the child that she's carrying. Uh, and then he says this phrase to her. He says, God has seen you in your misery. And that's the point at which Hagar becomes the only person I'm aware of to give Jesus a name. Genesis 16 says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. And she names him El Roy, is the Hebrew word for it. And it just means the God who sees me. In her most desperate place, in the desert, full of fear, struggling to make sense of the world that she's living in, she sees Jesus, and she sees that Jesus has seen her in her worst moment. You know, Jesus is a wonderful name, but before he was Jesus, he was El Roy. He was the God who sees us. What Christmas is, is it is the discovery of the true nature of our God, the preexistent one. And as we discover him, what we discover is the same thing Hagar discovered, is that he has been discovering us. He has been seeing us. He has been bearing witness to our lives as we experience his life. I don't know how you're coming to this Christmas. Um, I don't know where your heart is right now. I don't know, maybe you relate to Hagar in that desert, feeling misery, feeling pain, and feeling hurt. I suspect that probably you came here tonight hoping to see God, hoping to see a little bit of Jesus. Maybe you were dragged here, I don't know. Um, I think maybe more important than seeing Jesus is that we just sit in the truth that Christmas means that he sees us. He sees our heart. He sees where we are in those moments where we're in the desert. Whether we're flourishing or whether we're in the desert, he sees you tonight. In Christmas, we see him for what he is. Uh, he is Yahshua, the Alpha, the Omega, Emmanuel, the Father to the fatherless, the Defender of widows, El Roy, the Jesus who sees you. And that brings us to our Christ candle. We light this every year um, on Christmas Eve. The light represents Christ who is present with us. And not just present with us in the sense that he is holy, in the sense that he is good, but present with us in the sense that he bears witness to all that we carry. And that when he came as that little baby, it was a statement about what he sees. He sees us. He sees you and me. We're gonna sing a few choruses of Silent Night and then we're gonna start passing the light. 
through the room. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Um, First, never tilt a lighted candle. Just tilt the unlit one. And as someone next to you lights their candle off of yours, would you just say this simple phrase, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. And can we just sit in this truth tonight that Christmas means we are seen by the God who bears witness to all that we carry. Let's worship. Thank you.